Hello and welcome back to the Weekly Policy Pod. Um, Before I begin, I would like to add that the first few episodes might be a bit short as I get used to the world of podcasting. Um, And uh, just to recap, you know, the reason for this podcast is, you know, to inform everyone what's going on in the EU and what's going on, um, you know, in world affairs and what the EU um, is doing um, in the international theater. So as much as it is a learning opportunity for me, I guess it could be a learning opportunity for everyone else. Um, so let's begin by first talking about the Netherlands. So on February 23rd, um, the Dutch government announced that they will ease some restrictions already put in place to um, combat the spread of the coronavirus. Um, these include sectors that are considered non-medical contact professions. Um, so starting March 3rd, um, stuff like spas, tattoo shops, hairdressers, uh, beauticians will be able to open up again. And in addition to that, you'll be able to play group sports. Um, So that's very notable. Um, Before that wasn't allowed. Um, But the uh, one person rule um, outside is still in effect. So you and another person can only be outside except if you're playing sports. So uh, I guess we could just keep that in mind. Okay, so today um, we will go over the roadmap that the UK released uh, last week uh, on how they want to um, loosen all restrictions and end all coronavirus measures by June 21st. Um, We're going to talk about uh, Hungary and uh, their approval of the Sinopharm vaccine and uh, the Sputnik vaccine, um, the only country in the European Union to do so. Uh, We're going to talk about the EU vaccine passport, which is in the talks right now. Um, Something very interesting, so we'll go over that. And we will also be talking about Myanmar and EU sanctions or EU response to it. Um, In addition to that, we'll talk about Alexei Navalny, Um, and the EU's proposed sanctions on um, Russian officials. Uh, So stay tuned. Okay, so let's uh, first begin by talking about the long-awaited and anticipated European Union vaccine passport. So the European Union... Um, is set to issue a draft law in March on vaccine passports. Um, this was announced by the EU Commissioner, uh, Commission President um, Ursula von der Leyen, um, and she announced what is called the Digital Green Pass, and this will include um, details such as if the person has been vaccinated, as well as previous COVID-19 test results and medical statements um, as it relates to the coronavirus. Uh, This comes as many uh, tourism-dependent member states, such as Portugal, Greece, and Italy, um, requesting that uh, there be a vaccine passport on a European level uh, so that uh, sectors can open up by the summer uh, and people will be able to travel uh, more freely. Uh, So... Greece, as I mentioned, is one of the first uh, few countries to implement a digital vaccine uh, certificate for their citizens, but they hope that the certificate will be adopted at a pan-European level. 
um, there are a few issues uh, legally and ethically uh, with this uh, digital green passport that a number of member states have voiced concerns. So, um, so the first one is health policy. So, uh, health policy is a competence of EU member countries, and the EU Commission doesn't have much say in that area. Um, however, a vaccine passport will be based on the freedom of movement within EU territory, uh, which the EU has greater executive and legislative power. So that's why um, the EU has agreed to start working on, you know, the the vaccine passport and the technical workings around it. Um, two member states that are less dependent on tourism are more worried about the discriminatory aspects of the measures. So France, Belgium. And the Netherlands, for example, have all voiced concern about discrimination because uh, the vaccine is voluntary and there will be those who won't get the vaccine. And also because many residents won't be vaccinated until later in the year. So, you know, the younger age group between 18 and uh, 50, for example, won't get vaccinated until the summer. So they won't be able to travel, but the EU has assured that, um, you know, even with negative test results, people will be able to travel and there won't be any discrimination. Uh, so the draft, this is all still new. So the draft law will be followed by at least three months of technical working. So that means the pass could be introduced at the earliest in July. So stay tuned for that. Uh, obviously, as more comes about it, we will discuss it. So the next uh issue on our docket today is Alexei Navalny uh, and his detainment in the EU. Uh, sorry, his detainment in Russia and the EU sanctions. Uh, so the Council of the European Union has agreed to sanction four Russian government officials um, over the detainment of Alexei Navalny. So the new EU sanctions will be the first time um, they have used their sanctioning mechanism or the EU uh, Magnitsky Act. So uh, it's based on, um, if you haven't read the book, uh, I think it's called, um, I'm not sure actually, but I read it a long time ago. It's based on a Russian lawyer. Um, so it's a new sanctioning mechanism designed to offer more ways to punish those involved in human rights violations. Um, so the EU has agreed to uh, sanction uh, for Russian officials over uh, the detainment. Um, obviously, this has to be approved uh, by the council, and they're still in talks as to what kind of um, sanctions will be put in place, but most probably it will be a travel ban and asset freezes um, for those officials. Um, so just let's go talk about more about the, the new EU sanctioning regime. So in December, uh, the council adopted a regulation establishing a global human rights sanction regime. So this would allow them to target individuals, entities, and bodies responsible for or involved uh, with human rights violations worldwide. So these can include non-state and state actors. So these measures include travel bans, acid freezes, and in addition to that, persons and entities in the EU uh, will be forbidden uh, from making funds available to those sanctioned. Um, as we talk about EU sanctions as well, we'll just quickly go over 
Myanmar's coup, pro, uh, Myanmar's coup uh, and the protests that uh, followed and the EU response. So just a little recap, uh, the military in Myanmar on early in early February staged a coup and arrested the president and other high-ranking officials. Um, the reason for the overthrowing of the government and taking control was due to allegations of uh, the 2020 elections uh, being false. Um, so in a statement on February 1st, the EU condemned the military's action and called for the unconditional release of those who were arrested. Um, in the days after, the EU countries um, called on the bloc's foreign service to implement sanctions on officials that played a part in the coup. So on Monday, February 22nd, the EU agreed to impose sanctions. Um, the sanctions are not yet announced, but most probably it would um, withhold development aid and issue travel bans to the EU. Um, however, um, they won't issue sh uh, issue sanctions that will affect the population. So um, they are still working on that and seeing what type of sanctions um, they can implement without um, hurting the general population. Alrighty, so the next thing on our docket. So um, if none of you, or at least some of you were aware, uh, Hungary uh, approved uh, China China's Sinopharm vaccine as well as the Russian Sputnik vaccine um, due to the slow rollout by the European Union. Um, so uh, this comes as um, Hungary is... Um, just shows Hungary is, you know, stepping away from uh, like parting ways with the EU and doing things on their own, uh, which frankly annoys the European Union. But because I've, as I've mentioned before, um, health policy is a national competence. So legally they can do that. Um, but yeah, this um, comes as the EU is facing delivery delays by Pfizer and AstraZeneca um with their vaccine purchase program um so i'll tell you a bit about that in a bit so hungarian prime minister Viktor orban hopes that this will speed up its inoculation program uh this has as i've said before drawn criticism from the eu as they argue that it is another attempt for hungary to go its own way and undermine european solidarity um austria um although they're not uh, getting the China, the Sinopharm or Sputnik vaccine, uh, they are also kind of parting, uh, you know, ways with the EU, like bypassing the EU uh, by working with Denmark and Israel to produce vaccines. Um, since again, the delivery of the vaccines purchased by the EU is just very slow. <clears throat> so, uh, before I go on to the next topic, uh, let me just talk a bit about uh, the. Um, vaccine purchasing uh, program uh, by the European Union. Uh, so the EU has purchased over 2 billion vaccines from six different manufacturers uh, that will be delivered and uh, uh, shared between EU member states. So they're doing this on behalf of the member states. Uh, it's kind of a way for Europe to or your, the European Union and its member states to coordinate their responses uh, and share information. Um, and this was, I guess, by the European Union, just an easier way than uh, 
all different, like 27 different member states uh, making agreements with the vaccine manufacturers. The EU thought that this would be just a one straightforward way to purchase all the vaccines that they need for all 27 EU member states. But uh, the logistics right now is uh, completely, uh, I want to say like flawed. Uh, There's a lot of delivery delays right now in the Netherlands, you know, uh, we're not receiving the amount of vaccines we were supposed to by, uh, I believe, AstraZeneca and Pfizer due to like manufacturing issues, um, but also uh, the EU is just, uh, you know, very annoyed and fighting um, AstraZeneca and Pfizer on these issues. Um, so the EU also uh, purchased additional vaccines from Moderna, so hopefully that should uh, compensate for um all the delayed uh, vaccines. So, you know, this, what Hungary is doing is is like, it's essentially trying to ramp up its uh, inoculation program so they can open up sooner. They've been in a partial lockdown uh, since November, 2020, and their borders have been closed within the EU uh, since that time also. So uh, it's just a, it's a way of getting uh, things open. Um, so, you know, in addition to that, we'll talk about, um, the European Union, uh, HERA incubator. So, um, the EU plans on fighting new variants, uh, with public private partnerships. So, um, with this incubator, uh, they'll pull knowledge from researchers, biotech companies, manufacturers, uh, and health sector and public authorities and regulators, Uh, So the EU is providing 75 million euros in EU funding for developing specialized tests for new variants and to support uh, genomic sequencing in member states, um, as well as 150 million euros for research and data exchanges on uh, mutations. Uh, So this is all still very new and it's still working. Um, On Monday, they did meet about it because they do need the council to approve of such an initiative. Uh, so hopefully by next week, I could just give you an update on that. But, uh, as of now, nothing has been said on it. Um, last but not least, um, I know this wasn't on the docket at the beginning, but, uh, it was, you know, the breaking news of the day. Uh, Nicolas Sarkozy, the former French president, uh, was handed a jail sentence of one year in prison with a two year suspended sentence by Paris court. Um, this happened on Monday, uh, for trying to illegally obtain information from a magistrate in 2014. Um, obviously he denies all these allegations and I'm pretty sure he's appealing it from what I've read, um, on the news today. Uh, but for all those who don't know, um, this is the first time, um, in modern French history that a former president was handed a prison sentence with no remission. So, um, his prime minister at the time as well was handed a prison sentence. Um, and it's just very interesting how uh, in France they hold their presidents, even former presidents, um, they hold them to account. So, you know, if they did something wrong in office or before they came to office, um, they're still liable and they will uh, get in trouble by, you know, you know, they're, 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 you know, the population holds them accountable. Their citizens hold them accountable. Um, it's just interesting to see how it works there. 
uh, and then compared to the U.S., where you know the impeachment process is just abysmal. Um, so yeah, that's all I have for today. Uh, I would like to thank all of you for um, taking the time to listen to my um, first. Oh, sorry. Before that, uh, I don't think I talked about the UK. Um, so uh, uh, the UK released um, their long-anticipated roadmap to end all coronavirus regulations by June 21st. Um, it's a bit ambitious, but who am I to say anything? Um, so they have set out all these dates by which they can open up the economy. So March 8th, they're opening up schools. April, gatherings or restaurants. I mean, it's like, you know, go on the UK government website and it tells you all the information. Um, but these are contingent upon, you know, obviously the number of cases. So if it's going down, the number of people who have been vaccinated. So this is all dependent on the vaccine because um, what the Prime Minister Boris Johnson has said is, you know, if we can get majority of um not the population, but majority of the uh, vulnerable population vaccinated, then it will be safe to open up the sectors because they will be protected. So they hope to end all coronavirus restrictions and laws by June 21st. And that's the date, like, um, I don't know if you've seen all the memes on Instagram, uh, you know, opening up clubs and bars and events and uh, what have you. So um, obviously this is still uh in uh its primal phases and uh we'll probably be be, be seeing um developments within the next few months um june is only uh a couple months away and um you know march 8th is like opening of schools but by april so the next date they have is when they're allowed to like open other sectors that are considered like places where coronavirus can spread easily so we, we will be seeing obviously whether uh they will go forward or whether they need to put a pause on it and reevaluate. um so yeah um it's very interesting all interesting stuff uh you know go to the uk i guess if they open up their economy uh, you know if uh i'm sure everyone um i mean for the good part of it you know understanding why we're in this situation, why we need this, uh, these lockdowns, these measures, uh, it's to protect everyone, but, you know, mental health matters as well. So if you can, I wouldn't recommend like traveling, but if you do live in the UK, um, I guess let us know how it is. Let us know what your thoughts are. Um, so yeah, so um, thank you everyone for finally listening to my first um, um, podcast. Um, if you have anything that you'd like me to discuss uh, next week, if you see anything very interesting that you'd like me to go into detail about, or if there's a policy about the EU or its member states that you're just not sure of, uh, please don't um, don't hesitate to reach out. Uh, I'll be happy to discuss it. Um, so it's like still all fairly new. Uh, I hope that these episodes will be longer. Um, I hope to get interviews in the future, but for now, uh, thank you for the support um, and have a good night or day wherever you are.